Amen. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, if you've not been with us over the last few weeks, we are in the middle of a series on the book of Deuteronomy. But what we're doing is, is we're taking each of the Ten Commandments as they come to us in Deuteronomy 5. And then because we believe it's the, the way that Deuteronomy is intentionally structured by the author of the book, we are jumping to a passage later in the book that kind of acts as an exposition of that particular command. And so this morning we come to the eighth commandment, do not steal. And we'll be reading from Deuteronomy 5, verses 6, and then 19, Deuteronomy 23, and then Deuteronomy 24, just taking some selections from those passages. It'll be printed for you. It'll be on the screen behind me. It's printed for you in your worship folder. If you'd like to follow along in your Bible, that'd be great. Um, Beginning in Deuteronomy chapter 5, let's read. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and you shall not steal. Deuteronomy 23, you you shall not charge interest on loans to your brother, interest on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest. You may charge a foreigner interest, but you may not charge your brother interest that the Lord your God may bless you and all that you undertake in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it for the Lord your God will surely require it of, of you and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what is past your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what, has, what, have, what you have promised with your mouth. If you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put any in your bag. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. Deuteronomy 24, you shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless or take a widow's garment and pledge, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. This is God's word. Uh, Every command... That comes to us in this list of the Ten Commandments. Every negative command, remember, is guarding something positive that is full of beauty and glory. And so for every thou shalt not, in this case, thou shalt not steal, we have to figure out what the thou shall is. And this is especially true with this particular commandment, do not steal, because you see behind the command to not steal is what Paul said in Romans 13, which we read in our assurance of pardon. It's there in your worship folder. That the commandment is fulfilled in this, that we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, Paul says. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, we're commanded then to the positive, okay? We're commanded to love one another, to look after one another's interests, to bear each other's burdens, to protect and seek the welfare and the good and the blessing of of the other. And of course, stealing from one another is the exact opposite of all of that, and therefore it's forbidden. Love your neighbor as yourself, Paul says. Take all of your time and all of your energy and, and that you spend loving and taking care of yourself and use it to take care of others' needs. 
In other words, pursue the good and the well-being of your neighbor with the same passion and the same vigor and the same intensity that you pursue your own well-being. And what you'll see in this passage as we go through it is we are being called to a radical generosity that is so utterly counterintuitive and countercultural that really it's hard to make sense of sometimes. And that's, that's how I feel about these verses in Deuteronomy 23 and 24. So we're going to do... Uh, we're going to do this this morning together. You'll see in your outline um, on the back of the sheet where your where your scriptures are, are printed. We're going to see three things this morning. First, uh, what does it mean to not thou shalt not steal? What does that mean? In other words, we're going to define it. What does it mean? Secondly, why do we fail at it so terribly? And then thirdly, how do we find the energy to overcome uh, the sin in our lives? And instead of Stealing from one another, show generosity to one another. So what is it? Why do we fail at it? How do we overcome it? Under the headings of theft, stewardship, and generosity, there in your sermon outline on the back. And so we're going to follow those three things as we go through this time together. Okay, beginning with just this, with with theft. So let's define at the very beginning what we're going to be talking about this morning, okay? Let's define stealing. Uh, And I wouldn't want to define it like this. Um, stealing means treating what belongs to someone else as if it belongs to you. It is claiming ownership over something that someone else owns. And Lewis Smedes, who's written a book about the latter half of the Ten Commandments, he writes, and I think it's very, very helpful. uh, He says, we know that when a thug snatches a woman's purse, he's stealing. We're not sure whether or not a creative writer who woos money from people by seductive lies is stealing. We know an embezzler is stealing from a bank, excuse me, when he falsifies computer data. We're not sure whether or not a corporation that bribes its customers is stealing. We know that a burglar who takes a poor family's television is stealing. We're not always sure whether a company is stealing when it exploits a poor nation's resources. And then he says, one yearns for the day when a thief was a mere rogue and not an executive in a three-piece suit. Now, he's getting at something very, very, I mean, he's getting at something very important there. And what what he's dealing with and what we have to deal with, even as we come to this this passage in Deuteronomy 23 and 24, is the broadness of the command as it is given to us. That's a problem. Do you remember Jonathan talking about that a few weeks ago from Psalm 119? Your commandment, O Lord, is exceedingly broad. The command of God reaches into areas of our lives that we don't even think about it going to. And that's exactly what we see happening here as Moses begins to present case law later in Deuteronomy about what it means to enforce this commandment, do not steal. What happens is, is he talks about things on a level that we're not even used to, and he applies the command to circumstances that we would never think about. And so that's what I want to do. I want to walk through this, and some of them aren't printed in your in your worship folder for you just for the sake of time and space. But I really want you to feel this, okay? And you, you might disagree with some of these things, and that's going to be great. Um, come find me later, and let's talk about it, because... I'm not sure I agree with all of it, but I think it's what God's teaching us. Okay, so what Moses is doing is he's using case law to open up exactly what this command means. He's giving us specifics about how we indeed are guilty of stealing from one another. So if you look there, excuse me, Deuteronomy 23, 19 and 20, he says, you not you shall not charge interest on loans to your brother that the Lord may bless you. So Moses is saying this. He says, if you give another Christian a loan, but you charge them interest so that 
you know how this works, so that they go further into debt. In other words, the loan is making you more money. It's costing them more money. It's advantaging you. It's disadvantaging them. If you do that, you're stealing from them. He goes on in verse 24 and and 25. If you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put any in your bag. I mean, what's that mean? He's saying if you take advantage of the generosity of others in a way that causes them harm, and if you you show callousness to their needs, even as they're being generous to you, and you take more thought for your own needs and your own wants than theirs, then you're stealing from them. Uh, We went to the... This is how this works in my own life. We went to the um, soccer field yesterday and we had the glory and the joy of being at the soccer field. Uh, I'll mind you, the last day in October when it's 99 degrees in central Florida uh, from 9 o'clock in the morning until 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Thank the Lord uh, we have one of those tents, you know, those things that are so cool that provide shade. And people were stealing my shade. They would come and ask, hey, can we sit here? Yeah, no problem. Just for a minute. They stay like two or three hours. And I'm just thinking they're stealing. They're stealing. They're in my they're in my vineyard and they're taking they're not they've taken their full of grapes. They've brought their bucket in and they're filling that sucker up. I mean, it's like stick deer. You can start to see this stuff everywhere. I mean, you know, he goes on, he says, uh, verse verse one of chapter twenty four in Deuteronomy, he he goes into the, to to adultery. And it's interesting because what Moses is doing, he says, if you commit adultery with another man's wife or with another woman's husband, you're stealing from them. You're acting as if that person belongs to you when, in fact, the person belongs to somebody else. Deuteronomy 24, 6, which isn't in your worship folder. Moses says, no one shall take a mill or an upper millstone in pledge, for that would be taking a life in pledge. He's saying that if the way you live or the decisions that you make undercut the ability of others to work and make a profit and provide for themselves, then you are stealing from them. He goes on, if you're content, and this is, I'm bringing this out from other places in Deuteronomy, if you're content to let the homeless shiver in the cold and the children in our city go to bed hungry, as long as your financial security and personal convenience are not threatened, you're a thief. And then if you look down there, my favorite part of this passage is in that Deuteronomy 24, beginning in verse 19, where it talks about going into the to harvest your field, and if you and if you get done and, and you've not gotten it all, then don't go back for it, but leave it for the fatherless and the widows. If you have a business and you don't build into your profit margin money that's set aside to help brothers and sisters in Christ who come into hard times and cannot provide for themselves, then when they have a need and you can't help them with it because all the money has been spent, Moses is saying, you've stolen from them. Now, there are two ways that you can be guilty of stealing that we see here. If I could sum all of that up and what he's saying, he said, and the confession said it as well, which is beautiful. You can be guilty of stealing through one of two ways. Number one, through wrong taking, but then also through wrong keeping. Let's do both of those, you know, in order. Wrong taking. God does not permit us to use our strength or our power to take for ourselves what rightfully belongs to someone who's weaker. Happens all the time on a global scale. The U.S. has 17% of the world's population but consumes 40% of the world's food and natural resources. While 2 billion people live on less than a dollar a day and 40,000 children in our world die every day because they do not have enough food to eat. If that feels nebulous to you, come over to my house or somebody who has little kids this afternoon and just watch two toddlers play together for five minutes and fight over toys. 
It's like the old scene in, in Nemo, Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. Remember, do y'all remember that, the seagulls? No? you got to have kids. Mine, 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 mine. I mean, you know, wrong taking. God does not permit us to use our strength or our power to take for ourselves what rightfully belongs to somebody else, and we do it all the time. But wrong keeping is also what we're getting at here. It's also considered stealing to keep for ourselves what rightfully belongs to someone else. And that's harder to understand. But you see, what Moses is trying to help us to see is, is that if you treat everything in your life as if it belongs to you and you alone, if you hold it all for yourself, and if you spend it all on yourself and you never give any of it away, then you're stealing. And so I want you to look more carefully with me at that, the last part of that passage there in Deuteronomy 24, beginning in verse 19. You'll see it down there at the bottom of your page. And here's the scenario. Moses says you have a field. It belongs to you. It's yours. Notice all the possessive pronouns in that little bit right there. Your harvest, your olive trees, your vineyards. And yet the Lord gives a very strange command. He says that when you go out to harvest and you're in a hurry and you miss some of the sheaves of the grain or some of the grapes, you know, kind of fall to the ground, don't go back for them. The NIV says... Leave them for the sojourner and the fatherless and the widow. The ESV, which is what the translation we're working out of, it says it shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless or the widow. But neither translation really gets to the heart of what Moses is saying. <clears throat> because the expression in Hebrew, <clears throat> excuse me, that is being translated is one that normally describes ownership. Literally, Moses is saying it belongs to them. It's theirs by right. It's your harvest, your vineyard, but. That part belongs to the eight, the sojourner, the, the fatherless and the widow. You, if you're in need, or if you come into hard times, if you're in need and you can't provide for yourself, you have a claim on my material possessions. We believe that. The classifications here of the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow, they're the people who in an agrarian society had no access to land and therefore no way of providing for themselves. And what, what these are called the gleaning laws. What, what Moses is getting at in the gleaning laws, he says in Leviticus, don't harvest your whole field, but leave the edges. Intentionally don't operate at maximum capacity. Leave some on the edges because it belongs to those who can't provide them for themselves. These gleaning laws maintained the right of those who had no land to share in the provision the land brought forth. And so Lewis Smith has this great insight Again, he says that if taking is so wrong, then having must be right. He goes on to say, he says, part of being created in the image of God is that we were made to possess and to rule and to have dominion. So he writes, the eighth commandment compels us <clears throat> to help those who have nothing to get something. For no person can flourish, <clears throat> man, I can't talk, as the image of God without something to call to shape and to make his own. The Eighth Commandment requires those who are strong to help those who are weak to get what they need in order to be and to grow as persons. Thank you, Dad. I appreciate it. I usually come up here with something. Now take that there in verse 19 and bring it back up into verses 17 and 18 there in Deuteronomy 24. You'll, look, it, you'll see that it's linked by the repetition. Do you see there in verses 17, Deuteronomy 24, 17, you shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless, or to take a widow's garments. The same classifications of people that you find in verses 19 through 22. And so there's a connection there. And 
Moses says the issue in what I'm calling you to do with your with your field and your harvest and your vineyard is this issue of justice. Do not pervert justice that is due to the sojourner and the fatherless or take a widow's garment and pledge. And that word justice is one of these beautiful words in the scriptures that that is a main idea that that that, you know, the writers of the scriptures keep coming back to over and over again. And it's a word that describes something that is straight or right or something that is fully what is it, what it is intended to be. <clears throat> it's a word that describes human community that's working properly, where the strong aren't taking advantage of the weak, but are using their strength to help the weak. But because of sin, human community tends to get out of whack, you know, we tend to just do things that aren't in line with what God has commanded. And when that happens, we're called to fix it. And that's what it means to do justice. And so a seminary professor of mine had this great way of explaining this. And he would say this issue of righteousness or justice, that a righteous person is a person who disadvantages himself or herself for the sake of the whole community. And a wicked person is the exact opposite. A wicked person is a person who sees his or her resources as just belonging to them. And therefore... To do justice is the complete opposite of stealing. Because stealing is taking from others, advantaging myself at others' expense. You know, it's keeping to myself what really belongs to somebody else. It's selfishness. It's, it's independence. It's autonomy. To do justice means that you take all the threads of your life. You take your time and your money and your resources, your education, and you plunge it into the lives of other people. And Paul says in Romans 13, Do not steal is summed up in this one thing. Love. Love one another. Give yourself to people. Give your stuff away. Don't be stingy. Don't take. Don't grasp. Be open-handed and soft-hearted. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, if that's ultimately what we're being called to do here, then let me just ask a question. And it's the question that I was asking, you know, when I got to the end of all of this. You know, and it's just, why is this so terrifying? I'm terrified when I read this. Why does my heart immediately begin to form all kinds of objections and and exceptions? I mean, I hate this. I hate it. And what I have to realize, and I think what you have to realize too, is that our hearts are being confronted with a truth that it hates very much, and that is that we are stewards, we're not owners. That everything you and I have has been given to us, that all all of the things in my life are His gift, to me and therefore belong to him. My house is his. My car is his. My 401k is his. My children are his. This church is his. We are made to be stewards, trustees, brokers of God's creation. And that means we have to look at every inch of our lives. We have to look at every penny that we own, every cent of what we have as God's gracious gift given to us to care for others according to his priorities. We don't get to decide what to do with what he's given us. When God made the first man and the first woman in his image, he told them to have dominion and subdue the earth. They were to care for the creation and to rule over it according to his priorities and values. Their rule was to be an extension of his rule. It didn't belong to them. And I'll be honest with you. I have four children, um, a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old. Is that right? Everybody's having birthdays, so I'm confused. Almost a five-year-old. And a two-year-old. And the thing that I'm going after with them more than anything else is this idea, when daddy buys that for you, you don't own it. It's yours. I mean, I want you to have fun with it, but don't act like you own something that you did not pay for. 
I'm trying to build into them this idea because it is such a fundamental spiritual reality of the things that that are that are a part of our lives. There's a parable Jesus tells in Matthew 25 and he says the kingdom of God is like a man who passed out talents to all of his servants and one person got 10 and one person got five and one person got one and he went away and after a long time he came back to to examine and, and inspect what those people had done with the investment that he had made in their life. And the spiritual principle is just this. No matter who you are, God has put things. He's been good to you. He's given you great gifts. He's blessed you and made you prosperous in some way. He has gifted you. You're glorious and you're beautiful. And you are. You, he has made you to be a steward over creation. And you have gifts. And those gifts, the money he's given you, the resources he's given you, the talents he's given you, it is an investment that he has made in you. And he expects a return because ultimately it doesn't belong to you. And if God has given you money, don't think. Don't think 10% belongs to him and the other 90 is yours. No, you're a steward and you must care for the investment God has made in you and manage it according to his goals and priorities. You, you tell me. You tell me what happens to a financial broker who takes the investments he's managing and begins to treat them as his own. Gets him fired, right? If not arrested. And the Bible's clear. When you steal, when you take what doesn't belong to you or you keep your money and your resources and your gifts all to yourself, you're ultimately not stealing from another person. You're stealing from God himself. Remember Malachi 3? God says, you are robbing me. And I just want to say to you, because I'm your friend, that should frighten you. Because Malachi says it comes with a curse. It cuts you off from the blessing of God and makes you liable to his wrath. And in the story that Jesus tells about the man who gives talents to these servants and goes away, he comes back and one servant has done nothing with the gift that's been given to him. He buried it in the earth because he was scared to death. And the master was very hard on him and said, take him out, throw him out into utter darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And, God, and he will come back and there will be a reckoning and he will inspect to see if you have, what you have done with the investment that he has made in you. Don't let him find you guilty of robbing from him. And so we have to ask this question then. If that's what it is, then why do we do it? Why do, why, you know, what is the sin underneath the sin? What's behind all of this? And in one of Jesus' teachings to his disciples, which has been so helpful to me throughout my young life, Jesus uh, tells his disciples that they shouldn't worry about what's going to happen, about what they'll eat or what they'll drink. He says, look at the birds and how well God provides for them. You know, look at the flowers of the field and how beautifully they are, they are clothed. The birds never go without food. The flowers are beautifully clothed. And then he looks at his disciples and he says, don't worry, because you have a heavenly father who knows you and loves you and considers you far more valuable than birds or flowers. And he'll take care of you. If he takes care of them like that, won't he take care of you? You see, we don't know that. I mean, we don't believe that we really you know, he says, don't worry, but we do. You know, he says you have a father in heaven who loves you, but we don't believe him. We're not yet convinced of that. We really still believe we're alone in the world and we better do everything we can to take care of ourselves. And so here's the principle that I want to just I want to leave you with today. When we don't believe in God's giving, we will resort to wrong taking and wrong keeping. If I don't believe he gives, I will take. If I don't believe he gives, I'll keep. It's how we compensate for our fear and our worry. And Jesus is speaking right to our anxiety. And the anxiety is there because 
We've given our hearts away and we're putting our hope instead in some idol to save us and that idol's being threatened. The story of the scripture is that sin has separated us from God and so we no longer feel the warmth of his love. We mistrust him. We don't believe he's for us. We don't know and rely on his love for us as the Apostle John says. His absence has left a vacuum in our lives that we're trying to fill with all sorts of other things that only leave us emptier than we were before. And feeling more and more vulnerable which just increases our anxiety, which leads to uh, sin because it's all wrapped up in our unbelief. And so if that's true, then just for the, for the next couple minutes that I have before we close, then how do you become a person who shows the generosity that Moses is talking about here? And if you look at verse 18 of Deuteronomy 24, and then again at verse 22 of Deuteronomy 24, there down at the bottom of your sheet, Moses sums it up very clearly. He says there's only one way. There's only one way you can become the kind of person who can who can live according to the commands of the Lord as they're revealed to us here, and that is you have to remember. See that there? <clears throat> you shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner of the fatherless, verse 18, but you shall remember that you are a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Verse 22, Deuteronomy 24 you shall remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt, and therefore I command you to do this. God's saying, he's saying to his people, you were slaves and I redeemed you. You were powerless and I fought for you. You were weak and you were poor and I loved you and used all of my strength to come and rescue you. You had nothing and I gave you a land flowing with milk and honey. And therefore, therefore, you have to go and do the same thing in the lives of other people. You have to have a memory. You have to remember. You have to remember the power of God coming in the Exodus event. Do you remember the plagues that led to the Exodus from Egypt? Do you remember the way the Lord provided for his people, bringing manna, raining manna down from heaven and bringing quail into the camp? Everything they needed, he provided for. God is great and full of power and wrath, and you need to see God's fury and wrath against sin. You need to see God coming in his power in wrath and fury against the sin of mankind. Because if you can just sin all you want to and God just shrugs it off like it's no big deal, that's mamsy pamsy theology. But if you if that's what you think, you'll never fear him. And if you don't fear him, you'll never love him. And if you don't love him, you'll never obey him. You need to see all of the fury and the wrath of God, and the full measure of his power coming to deal with sin and then see it come against Jesus instead of coming against you. Historically, the church has said Jesus was crucified between two thieves, and that's significant. <laughs> Moses says, remember Egypt. We don't remember Egypt, we remember the cross. And as Jesus hung on the cross, one of the two thieves confessed his sin and asked Jesus to save him. And Jesus' reply was, today you will be with me in paradise. How in the world is that possible? See, the gospel is this. The gospel is that all of the wrath of God that is due to the thievery of mankind, came down upon Jesus. Jesus died in the place of sinners. He died in the place of that thief. And because the wrath of God came down upon him, he could turn to the man hanging to his right or to his left and say, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, it's not enough to have a memory of God's power and his justice and his fury against wrath coming down. You have to, you have to see that the power is coming to bring salvation. You see, the display of power in Egypt was for their salvation. God didn't come against them in his power and wrath. He came against their enemies so that he could bring them out and bring them into the land he had promised. And if your faith is in Jesus, 
you can look at the cross and you can be sure that God is for you. And so Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Listen to this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God, the promise of the gospel is because of the work of Christ on the cross in our place. God is for us. And if he is for us, who can be against us? If he's for us, then we don't have to take from others. Do you see that? We just have to ask. And if he is for us, then we don't have to keep. We don't have to ever worry that we'll ever run out of money or energy because they come from him. And his heart is to bless us and to prosper us. You see, the truth of the gospel once and for all, God is for us. And so the key to obedience to the command is not, hey, get out there. It's remember. Remember. Remember the power of God. Remember the power of God coming to bring salvation and let it melt your heart that you go and imitate him. So how fitting that we would come to the Lord's table this morning because the command to come here is the command to remember. And so let's pray together as we prepare to come and to take his body and his blood and to remember our own exodus, his work on our behalf. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we gather together to celebrate this meal together this morning, would you come and do what you promised to do, to be among us, to bless us, to draw near to us, to help us to remember, and may that remembrance produce faith, may it overcome our unbelief. May may you whisper to us in these moments as we come to this table of your love for us, and may we come to know and rely on that love. May it break sin's chains in our hearts. Instead of unbelief, may it produce faith, and may that faith produce obedience, and may that obedience bring you great glory. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Uh, As I give you the benediction now, it it is a blessing over you, spoken to you and over you as you go. Uh, This is what equips us to remember throughout the week, to remember you have been spoken over this word of God uh, into your life. Uh, And so uh, remember, (laughs) I know we've said it, said it a lot, but remember, remember this as you go. Uh, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.